Hello there, everyone. Uh, it's Reverend Tasha Blackburn, and I wanted to do a Sunday school shorthand of a Sunday school class that was taught at the uh, end of November, finishing up our series on First Thessalonians. Today we're going to talk about uh, Chapter 4 of that letter. Um, chapter 5 we've been focusing on in worship, and so we're going to let those sermons and uh, worship uh, have spoken for themselves. Uh, but Chapter 4 uh, we're going to focus on today, and that will wrap up our season on First Thessalonians. So I'm going to read for you uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4. Paul writes this, Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact you are doing, you should do so more and more. For this is the will of God, your, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that each one of you know how to control your own body to holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. Well, if you remember from the last class that Phil taught, um, there was uh, sort of in Chapter 3, Paul's kind of doing news items, you know, updating them on uh, what's going on in their lives uh, and in the life of the church. And now he's moved to teaching. And I do want to remind you that all of these yous, that we see in English, um, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that you know how to control your own body, right? All of those yous are plural, so y'all. Uh, and that may seem like a simple reminder, but it's just a nice reminder that this is a letter that is not to one person. This is to a whole community. And um, these are uh, promises that the community makes uh, for the sake of the community as well. Uh, what one person does affects the body, right, as Paul would later in Corinthians talk about the body. So it's all y'alls. <laughs> uh, it's a group uh, morality here that's, that's discussed. Now, when Paul says that you should abstain from fornication, here we go, everybody, um, he means any sexual immorality. It's a very broad category that can cover lots of different... Um, you, you think of it, and it's covered by fornication. And uh, Paul says uh, you're supposed to not be getting into that. So uh, abstain from fornication, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. And I want to point out when he says control your own body... Uh, you know what he says there? Ladies, you're going to love this. Um, what he literally says is, you should possess your own wife. <laughs> now, some of you may be having strong thoughts about that. Uh, but let's remember, this is over 2,000 years ago. Um, you should possess your own wife. Um, that's what he means by control your own body. Uh, so... When we say brothers and sisters at the beginning, that he's talking to brothers and sisters, 
literally what the Greek says is brothers only. And lots of times in the New Revised Standard Version, they will put brothers and sisters because they know that women were listening too. And so we've added brothers and sisters. Um, but he does specifically say brothers, you know, if you want to go down that route. And that piece of um, teaching does seem to be very specifically to the brothers. Um, manage your relationship here uh, and only... Um, focus on your own wife. Uh, clearly, some things are not new, right? So, uh, we don't know if that's teaching that the women were supposed to overhear, that Paul had given it to the men, um, or if it really was just for the men to hear. So, who knows? It, it's an interesting thing to think about if Paul is saying this knowing it will be read in mixed company and knowing that he wants the women to hear that, that he's told the men, you know, um, no messing around. So, interesting thing to think about the eye, the eyebrow raises around the room when that was read. Also, uh, when he thinks about this, when Paul talks about how we should live, um, you know, he ends those set of verses um, talking about the Holy Spirit, that God has given his Holy Spirit to you. So, you can live a holy life. Um, not on your own greatness or ability, but you can live it because the Holy Spirit works in you. Um, this is not out of reach. Um, it's a gift that God has given us that the Holy Spirit can be um, helping us in this. So that's always a word of comfort um, that we aren't in this alone. Let me read for you the next handful of verses, and then I want to talk about the course of honor, okay? That's what we're going to talk about next. Verses 9 to 12 are this. Now concerning love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been, been taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we directed you, so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, so when he literally says uh, concerning love of the brothers and sisters, right at the beginning, when I talk about con concerning love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you. Um, what he literally says there is the love of honor of brothers and sisters, the love of honor of brothers and sisters. It's a very particular kind of love. And it really... Um, it really speaks to a very common uh, cultural belief at the time. In fact, uh, Rome really based a lot of its um, societal living on it. It was called the Course of Honor or the Cursus Honorum. And it was a major theme of how you aspired in culture to show that you were um, an honorable human being or a worthy human being. And it was all about um, bringing fame and fortune to yourself, right? So if you were going to have a political life or a public life, then you were going to scrape and, uh, and aspire and grasp uh, for that fame and fortune. If in your trade or in your, um, in your, uh, the work you did with your hands, if you were in some sort of trade group, that was all about, they would literally have um, steps 
toward greater power and honor um, within your trade organization. Um, rivalry and competition so that you could aspire to be better compared to anyone else in your trade. And it was called this course of honor. Um, you want to compete to gain, right? So I only say that to you to say, I think that helps us hear what Paul says here a little better because his words are not traditionally ones we think of for Scripture. He says that the course of honor is going to be uh, to aspire to, hear that word aspire, right, is to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands, and to behave properly and be dependent on no one. That's not really common language we have, um, certainly in the New Testament. But I think what Paul is doing here is offering an alternative to that course of honor. You don't have to live that way, he's saying. You don't have to grasp and strain and compete and have rivalry. Um, you can live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, uh, and be dependent on no one. Uh, you don't have to always compete with them. Uh, you can have your grounding in something else. So he really flattens that structure, right, that ladder you might climb. He flattens it and, and says, you know, there's another way of honor here. Um, it's a way of engagement. You have to be engaged. Uh, there's no way to work with your hands and, and behave properly and um, be dependent on no one if you aren't actively engaged, but you aren't grasping. So I, I think that's what Paul's talking about here is an alternative uh, life an alternative way to show honor in your life. So it's kind of its own unique take on what the Bible does say over and over again, which is that we should love one another, right? It's like this other um, path, uh, an, its own path to loving one another. Um, it's not trying to climb <laughs> above everyone else and, and, and step on them on our way up, right? Okay, let me read uh, verses 13 and 14. I, I want to pull these two verses out separately um, because they really are, I think, so important um, because they're about grieving and sorrow. Um, so here's 13 and 14. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. So I want to repeat that one line. Those, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Um, stoicism, and to be a stoic, was very popular in Paul's time. I mean, we have all kinds of writings that I could tell you a lot about um, where people talk about how, oh, you know, I don't even know why you'd be sorry your son has died, everybody dies, you know, uh, we know we die, why are you sad? Uh, that's what the Stoics would write about. Um, and, the, and they'd say even things like, you know, a real soldier doesn't mourn the loss of a fellow soldier, you know, right? That that makes them not a soldier if they mourn their loss. Stoicism was very popular. And 
want to be careful here that we are not misreading Paul. Because as Christians, we can sometimes have our own version of that. We can say things to people who are grieving, um, you know, well, we know they're in a better place, uh, which is a way of saying, uh, you know, in a soft way, it's a way of saying, get over it. <laughs> they're in a better place, right? Our our belief system, our hope is in that, and so you shouldn't be sad, Um or uh you know you know God needed another angel, and so you should be happy, you know, because God needed them. That's all kinds of strange, right? We could get into that um I'm not sure God needs um another angel uh it's strange language we say to people who are grieving, and I want you to remember that Paul knew all about the Stoics, and he could have easily said here that we have hope in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead, therefore we do not grieve. And people might misquote him to even say that, but that's not what he says. He says, we do not grieve as others do who have no hope. doesn't mean we don't grieve, but we don't grieve um, as those who have no hope. We grieve. That's important. Um, this life is precious and it's a gift and so when it is gone um, of course we grieve because we know the gift it is Um, but we also are people of hope they both are hand in hand they go together and and we should never um, diminish someone who is grieving or um, use our Christian faith uh, you know really as a weapon (laughs) against them in their grief we should say things like Paul did that you know your grief is important I hope you can grieve as someone who also has hope Um, and and can I talk about that hope with you even as you grieve and continue to grieve I think that's a pretty important um, lesson for us because we can forget that when we talk a lot about Christian hope and not as much about Um, that grief is more than acceptable. Okay, I want to do the last handful of verses of uh, Chapter 4. This is uh, 15 to the end of the chapter. Three verses. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There is a lot going on here. Um, But what I want to point out to you is that It's fairly clear, um, we've talked about this before, that we only have one side of the letter, right? We don't have the letter that they wrote Paul or the message they gave Paul through Timothy. We only have Paul's letter in response. But it's pretty clear that they had at least two questions for Paul. Um, Remember, it's about the year 50 or so. uh, And everybody at the time, the early Christians, thought that Jesus was coming very soon, immediately, before any of them died. And 
now some time has passed and some of them have died. And so it's pretty clear from what Paul writes here that they had at least these two questions for him. One, what happens to those who die? And two, what's the relationship between those who have died and those who haven't? Those who are asleep, that's how they put it biblically, those who are asleep and those who are awake. Boy, those are good questions, right? For the year 50 and for the year 2020. Um, what happens to those folks who have died before Jesus came back? Um, and what also is our relationship with them? And Paul talks about uh, that the, the, the ones who have died are not second-class citizens, are not forgotten by Christ, that in fact they rise first. That's what Paul says here. Um, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means um, precede those who have died. Uh, the ones who have died will, will rise first before us. And so they are not forgotten. And then he talks about um, the common language. You know, we'll say that someone has passed on, or we'll say that they've passed over. Well, that's sort of our euphemistic language for dying. Well, their euphemism was to be caught up or to be snatched away, right? My neighbor was snatched away. My neighbor was caught up, and it would be their language for they had died. And so Paul takes that common language, and he flips it on his head, and he says um, that those who are alive will be caught up in the clouds together with the ones who have already died. We're going to be caught up together. They are not lost, and they are not snatched away from you forever. We will be caught up together to meet our Lord. And I think it's very interesting, too, here, um, that we are not caught up in any old place. We are caught up in the air. Isn't that interesting? We are caught up in the air. For Paul and for his uh, time, um, different parts of the planet of, of the world had different meanings. The sea was chaos, um, and so when the sea is stilled, right, chaos is is, is uh, ended, and the air um, was where spirits lived, both good and evil. It was also thought to be where the most evil of spirits um, had power, Satan. Um, in Ephesians 2, it talks about uh, the ruler of the power of the air, um, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient, that, that he lives in the air. That's his realm, right, is the air. And that is exactly where um, those who are asleep already and those who are still awake, we will be caught up and we will meet our Lord there. Think about what that means. It means he has conquered even the air. He has returned and conquered even where the evil spirits dwell and where they have power now. Um, it's really this beautiful image of God being triumphant, um, of the powers and principalities of this world being defeated, um, and of being with the Lord forever. Uh, and... You know, I'll end us with this. There's this suggestion here. Um, we talk so much about going to heaven or being with God in heaven. There's an interesting thing here, and we get it in the book of Revelation as well, that for God, um, 
He loves this earth. He created it. He renews and restores and sustains it. And that when his kingdom comes, there is in some sense, um, this earth will be renewed and restored as well. This is not simply something that will happen in some other place. But the Lord will return and catch us up in the air, right? In this air. Um, and that we will live for him, with him forever um, if we combine this with the with the images we're given in Revelation, uh, we will live with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth, a restored um, creation. It's really a beautiful image that Paul gives them um, to try to speak to those questions they had. Um, are those who have died before us, are they forgotten? And he says, nope, nope, they come first. They rise first. Jesus remembers them first, right? And then what's our relationship with them? Um, they are asleep. We are awake. Uh, I think Paul's pointing to here the relationship is far closer than you can even imagine. Um, there really is that sense of they are simply asleep and you are awake, but the Lord, when he comes, um, all will be awake again. So it's this beautiful and comforting and triumphant image to end uh, Thessalonians 4. So I hope you've enjoyed this Sunday School shorthand. Um, our next uh, session will be on a whole different book. Uh, this is the end of our first Thessalonians, and uh, it's been fun to do, and I look forward to the next time we can be together. Have a good day.